0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. As we've been reporting on the show, British Columbia has been experiencing some pretty difficult weather conditions in late summer and early fall. There were air quality statements due to forest fires. Drought conditions had places like the Sunshine Coast declaring a local state of emergency last week. That provided a backdrop for some political drama that played out in the province last week as well. For his thoughts on all of this, let's bring in journalist Arno Kopecki. Hey, good morning, Arno. Great to chat with you once again.
1: Good morning, Dave. Uh, Great to see you. How's it going?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. Arno, let's start with the drought conditions. You're out there in the Vancouver area. Can you describe what it's been like the last few weeks?
1: Well, the fever finally broke a couple days ago, Dave, so I'm in a better mood than I was. Um, It finally started raining, but yes, it was dramatic. We thought we were going to get through summer without any climate disasters here, and then suddenly September was dry as a bone. We set 150 heat records. Uh, not a drop of rain. And then the same thing through October, the first three weeks of October uh, were super dry and warm. And then into that, at the end of October, we started getting wildfires and shrouded Vancouver in smoke for the last week of, well, not the last week, but, the, you know, from about October 14th to 21st, mm-hmm. we were, uh, as the, as the screen is showing, uh, you know, you couldn't see the mountains. We we're getting these uh, apocalyptic orange sunsets and hanging out in t-shirts in the afternoon, which is, I know it's warmer than the rest of Canada and Vancouver, but it's not supposed to be that warm. So Mm -hmm. it was, it was dramatic.
0: Yeah. I was talking to my friend in Seattle and she said, you couldn't even go for a walk outside without either her allergies or her asthma acting up because of the smoke conditions that people were going through. Totally. Yeah. Arno, what about, what about the wildlife? How, how did these conditions end up impacting the wildlife?
1: So there was, uh, you know, again, dramatically, uh, especially the salmon streams uh, were warming up and even drying up completely in some cases. Fall is spawning season, so that's when uh, five five species of salmon come back to the streams that they were born in, and then they have to swim up those streams to lay their eggs, as a lot of your uh, listeners probably know. And there was dramatic footage about a month ago, mid-September, of a a creek on the central coast that had just dried up completely and exposed 65,000 salmon who were left there to die and died before they could lay their eggs. And it was just this awful, uh, awful scene. So we're going to find out in a few years when this generation comes back to spawn, how widespread that was. But it, it was devastating. Uh, that's one, one of the major effects was it just cooked those salmon streams. Also, the die-offs in our forests. Uh, if you go to Stanley Park, which is Vancouver's version of Central Park, you'll see a lot of of dying uh, cedar trees. Especially, um, you see the these changing conditions are really are really sort of repopulating our forest and and these great majestic red cedars that are an iconic species here uh, and a beautiful tree there. They're disappearing fast, they're turning brown and, and dying.
0: So uh, that, that's a couple of the examples. There was a stat that I shared last week about the Sunshine Coast, where typically between late July and this time of year, they would receive about 200 millimeters of rain. And they'd only received 10 millimeters until some rain came in last weekend. But I mean, that, that just right. is a staggering, staggering number. People think about drought conditions. That is what, 5% of the expected rainfall. That's, that's wild. It is. Yeah.
1: And they were so there was water conservation, like stage four water conservation farmers weren't allowed to irrigate their crops. So it's an awful blow to to farmers. And, and, uh, you know, Vancouver had an alert, too. We almost ran out of drinking water in in Vancouver. We had Mm. to conserve as well. Uh, Like I say, finally, it started raining. So that that concern is now over. But man, it was
0: scary. What kind of pressure, maybe unexpected pressures might dry conditions like that create maybe on the power grid, for example?
1: Yeah, I mean, excellent point, Dave. We're 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 a province that is run largely on hydropower, and hydropower is, <laughs> by definition, relies on water to fill these reservoirs and for these rivers to keep flowing. So they were on alert as well. Now, luckily, a lot of these rivers are further north and central, where these where a lot of these hydroelectric dams are. So they weren't uh, devastated, but they put out notices. You know, they felt sufficiently alarmed to to feel the need to reassure the public that it was still okay and. We saw that in Europe earlier this summer and in China that a lot of their power grid was shutting down because of the, these uh, these rivers drying up. Um, so it didn't happen. Again, it was more a big rattling of the cage, but it was kind of shocking to realize that it could happen.
0: I, I don't mean to get into fear-mongering here. I know, I know we're maybe entering into a bit of speculation, but what are some of the longer-term concerns, even with some rain hitting the ground in the last few weeks? Are there concerns now about the dry conditions potentially giving way to flooding?
1: Yes, there are. Uh, so we're keeping our eyes on that right now. I'm looking out the window, it's not raining at this moment. It rained a bunch yesterday, but yeah. Anytime you have a long dry spell like this, uh, the ground really compacts, and then if if that is followed by a, a substantial rain, then you have the right conditions for a flash flood. And of course, we're all we have a bit of PTSD here from it was just a year ago. That yeah yeah uh, that, like, BC had these atmospheric rivers that, that I was out devastated. there.
0: I, I was out there last November when when the atmospheric rivers went through the, the impact of the lower mainland and the central part of the the, the province was staggering.
1: Yes, it really was. And so a lot those same mountain slopes are, are still destabilized, you know, they don't just bounce back uh, right away. So um, we are on high alert now for that, too. I don't think we have the well, we definitely don't have the level of rain forecast that was last year, but it wouldn't take much uh, when the slopes are this dry and already weakened from last year. Now we haven't had a week of rain. So things can floods can happen like that quickly
0: for sure arno let's jump over to politics here because climate ended up playing a significant role in political conversations around Mm -hmm. bc last week ndp leadership hopeful angelia paderai was disqualified from the race for alleged breaches of campaign rules a paderai denies any wrongdoing oh is the clip not firing for us today that's that's kind of a Kind of a microcosm of what uh, of what we've dealt with with a power outage on the show today. It's all good. We play okay. Eliza's got it. Eliza, let's let's fire up that we clip. Got it. All right. We followed the rules, and so the party had a choice: let all the members of the party, new and old, choose the next leader, and risk having a climate champion in the premier seat, or take this undemocratic approach and disqualify the candidate. It's distressing that they have taken the nuclear option. The disqualification left David Eby unopposed to replace Premier John Horgan. Eby has offered to work with the Patterai on some environmental concerns. Arno, I've been observing this one from afar, but what's the conversation been like in BC?
1: It has been a it, uh, it really captivated uh, many people in this province, you know. Um, and there was two really two two powerful narratives going on. Of course, on the one end, Angelia Patterai, this this uh, uh, charismatic. Uh, passionate, really talented young speaker and movement organizer who speaks for climate change at a time when we're all worried about it. And like I said, you know, wildfire smoke is filling the air while this drama is playing out. At first, she got into the ring and and announced that she was going to be running for the leadership of the party, uh, which, if she won, would make her the premier of the province. So a lot of people saw that and thought, well, you know, that's nice. She'll, you know, she'll add something to the conversation but then a month later, uh, the, the numbers started coming in, and people thought, "Oh my gosh, she might actually win this thing," and so that's when the imagine the
0: imagine that in a democracy, somebody somebody winning based on a popularity. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> totally. But you know, so the the countervailing. So of course, people who are climate concerned and, and environmental the environmental movement was very apt about this, um, but a lot of progressive people. We're also kind of concerned because, you know, they're thinking, well, B.C. has a pretty progressive government. You know, we're one of the more progressive provinces in the country, uh, which is a precious commodity at this time of surging right wing sentiment. And Padurai, according to this narrative, threatened a lot of that by if she had won. She would have, you know, nobody in the party, uh, not, not sitting uh, re- representatives, uh, members of legislative assembly, nobody wanted her to be there. So it was it was really kind of a, an insurgency uh, and a bit of a, host- would have been a bit of a hostile takeover. Also, she would have uh, really canceled some huge mega projects, uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline, Coastal Gas Lake Pipeline, uh, Site C Mega Dam. Which would have saddled this province if she had pulled that off with literally tens of billions of dollars in debt at a time when, you know, there's a healthcare crisis here. We don't have enough teachers. There's a housing crisis. There's a lot of stuff going on. So people felt, you know, she represented this threat that would have opened the door for the opposition to win in the next election. Mm. And that was kind of the dynamic uh, when she seemed to be winning. And then all of a sudden, the party disqualified her for breaking a number of campaign rules, and so that, of course, made half the the province think, well, it was actually the BC NDP that cheated, not Angela mm. Um And so that's the kerfuffle that we're all in. And you know, you heard what Angelia Patteron said in that clip, and a lot of people uh, uh, agree with her. A lot of people feel that she was actually the one who who
0: raised the nuclear option and, and took it to this this mm. place. Arno, I know this is a, a speculative question, but uh, but I do want to get your take on it. Does it feel mm-hmm. like there's political gatekeeping when it comes to climate activists and keeping them out of political power?
1: You know, uh, I, I think there is certainly some gatekeeping, I think. But I, I think any organization, including a, a party, uh, is going to do what it can to prevent somebody who is not entirely friendly to their sitting interests from taking over that organization (laughs) and i don't know if the if the bc ndp is particularly hostile to the climate movement Uh, i think they have a lot of people who are very climate aware there's no doubt that they have uh, the environmental file has been one of their weakest files and the ndp both in bc and federally and anywhere that there is a party like the ndp which has its roots in the labor movement faces this weird contradiction where they're trying to be progressive and represent workers, but also represent environmental interests in a province and a country where most jobs are in environmentally destructive industries. Mm. So how do you square that circle? It's a real tricky thing that the NDP is trying to manage. And that is what Apadurai represented, uh, because she is also grounded in humanitarian social justice concerns, but she is fusing that with... Uh, climate and environmental concerns, and she tried to bring that to the power. I, my view is that she succeeded in her goal that she cre- She forced the NDP to acknowledge uh, that they have to that this is a political force that she represents. That they would be stronger to incorporate it than to fight it. Um, I don't think it's true that she. You know, I don't think she was trying to cheat and and be sneaky, but she did break some campaign rules that were pretty clear. Uh, so I think the NDP was, was was gatekeeping and was looking for a reason to disqualify what they saw as a threat mm. uh, to their political prospects. But I also think it's true that she she demonstrably did break some of the rules. And that's where the conversation breaks down into the weeds that we don't really need to go into here. I think <laughs> yeah. people always break rules you know so there's discretion on how aggressively you enforce those rules it's not unheard of i mean in the in the conservatives leadership race that they just had federally they disqualified patrick brown for breaking the rules he said all the same things that uh Padre is saying now Um, So this kind of thing is is not unusual. What was unusual was for somebody who is this young and has no experience in government to come within a millimeter of becoming the premier of the province. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's pretty remarkable. It's very, very remarkable. Arno, I've got to hold you to sort of a quicker thought on this one. I understand also if you want to reject the premise, and I also understand (laughs) that maybe you answered this a little bit in your last response, but why do you think some parties are unwilling to push the envelope on a more progressive climate agenda?
1: Uh, Some are just cynical because they don't care. Uh, I think many do care and are facing an electorate that does not care nearly as much as it should. And uh, if they had to choose between 10 more cents a litre of gas or uh, salmon dying, they would often choose salmon dying. Um, And I think that's the reality that a lot of parties like the NDP, which wants to be progressive but also wants to stay in power. And, you know, so that's the fault of, of many of us, including myself, for not... Uh, seeding the urgency, but you, Dave, are doing the Lord's good work here uh, <laughs> sharing these words. So that makes it easier for politicians
0: to do that. I, I don't know if I'm doing that much good work, but, I, but I'm I'm deeply concerned. So I do talk about climate on the show quite a bit. Arno, just before we say goodbye to you, I did want to offer you some congratulations. We've shouted out your work as an author before, the books that you've written before. But you actually received an award for some of the work you did on covering the issues at Fairy Creek last week. So congratulations to you on uh, some award-winning journalism that was recognized Thank earlier you. this month.
1: Thank you, Dave.
0: That's really kind. Arno, we have to say goodbye. We are fresh out of time, but have yourself a great day and we'll talk to you next month. Sounds good, Dave. We'll see you next week or next month. Oh my gosh, I'd love to talk to you next week, but I think it's (laughs) going to be next month. That's that's (laughs) journalist, award-winning journalist, Arno Kopecki, joining us to talk about climate and politics. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv.